Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. She's a Birmingham native and the 15th president of Miles College, the first woman to serve at its helm. Long applauded for her work for the Birmingham Airport Authority, as well as the Alabama Power Company, Bobby Knight is a woman who not only has made moves, but is making moves in the field of education. President Bobby Knight, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. There's so much to get into. I could start in many different directions, but let me start with your current position as the 15th president and first woman to serve at the helm of Miles College. A uh, hundred plus year institution. Let's start kind of in left field. Let's talk about HBCUs, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, first of all, what is an HBCU for the audience so they understand? HBCUs are historically black colleges and universities, and they've been around for over a hundred years, uh, probably the oldest in the 1870s. Miles was uh, chartered in 1898. So we've been here for a while. And historically, the reason they were chartered was to provide education for men and women of color who could not go to other institutions of higher learning. So that, you know, that's just the way the world was at that point in time. And they have served a purpose um, throughout the years. Uh, I did not attend an HBCU. I attended a PWI. But I really feel the experience now that I'm here as president. And I get it. I get what it's about and why it's so important and why it's so critical for some of our students. And we have students of all races here, but those there are some students who need a particular environment to thrive. And HBCUs typically provide that. It's a nurturing environment. PWI meaning predominantly white. Correct. People who don't understand the histories of HBCUs. I also, by the way, did not go to an HBCU. In many ways, I did just the opposite. I went to three Ivy League institutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But many of my friends, particularly my friends from graduate school, had come from HBCUs. Right. But, you know, people sit there and say, well, this isn't right. If there are colleges that are made for black people, there should be colleges just for white people. Yeah, there were. There are. <laughs> they, they, they are. There were. And uh, I can tell you that when I, I went to the University of Alabama and I went um, there, I was there from 1974 to 1978. So back in the dark ages. But just a few years prior to me going there, you know, authoring Lucy tried to go and tried to go there for graduate school and she was not allowed to attend. She was turned away and she was uh, harassed and all of those things. And authoring Lucy is a graduate of Miles College, an undergrad, but she wanted a master's degree and Miles College did not offer that. University of Alabama did, but she was not allowed to attend. So the question is, to me, is why not? Why not? Why shouldn't we exist? And because we serve, again, all 
students. It does not matter what your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, none of that matters. HBCUs are a place that allows people to thrive if they cannot or feel like uh, they they just don't want to go to a predominantly white institution, particularly a large institution with, say, 20,000 students, where you come and you can go to an HBCU with about 1,500 to 2,500 students. You know, when you look at the historical admissions or lack of admissions for African-Americans in predominantly white institutions, thank God there were HBCUs. Oh, yeah. Where would African-Americans and others be educated if the HBCUs had not been created? That's correct. That's correct. And you'll find when you look throughout history, uh, my parents and my grandparents, that was their only option. Now, it, you can go anywhere you want to. You've proven that. You've gone to three Ivy League schools. I applaud you for that. But you know what? Come to Miles College and just come and visit. I'm offering you an invitation right now and just experience what our students experience because it is totally different. I have a surprise for you. What? I've been to Miles College. When? Years ago, uh, probably back in 2008, 2009. Oh. Um, and I went and I was doing a campaign called the 50 million pound challenge. Uh -huh. um, I remember that. I remember that campaign. That's right. And we went to Miles College, believe it or not. And uh, awesome. had a great, a, a great event there. Uh, and so I actually had a chance actually to go. And by the way, for those who are listening, most of you probably have never heard of Miles College. Okay. Um, I had never heard of Miles College before we went there. Um, everyone, when you talk about HBCUs, we hear about the Howards and the Hamptons and right. the and the A and T. But people don't realize there are a lot of HBCUs, and we need all of them. By the way, uh, they all serve a purpose. Uh, and I learned later in my educational uh, career how significant. HBCUs were and still are at educating people who are typically excluded from other predominant institutions. And so I have a fondness uh, for HBCUs. My wife went uh, to Hampton. So I have a fondness for HBCUs because when you talk about the need of the population to be educated, okay, we always talk about the importance of education. You got to be educated, right. you got to be educated. We talk about it in reference to the advancement of populations. We talk about it in reference to the entire country. We say that we need to have a more educated America to put us uh, at a competitive advantage or at least to be able to compete in a global marketplace. So we all buy right. into the thing of education, but you can't on the one hand buy into we all need to be educated and then on the other hand put obstacles and roadblocks up for people who are trying to get educated, right? Right, that's right, that's right. Whether it be disparate um, uh, admissions policies, whether it be financial obstacles, logistical obstacles, these are things that become impediments and obstructions for a lot of people who want to do better, who want to follow the, the roadmap that people say we should follow, which is go yeah. get an education. So. Uh, HBCUs uh, are extremely important to me. I think they're important, not just to African-Americans, by the way. They're important. they're important to the country at large because mm -hmm. everyone is not, I went to Harvard, everyone's not going to go to Harvard. 
Everyone doesn't want to right. go to Harvard, by the way. They don't, want, right. they don't want to go to Harvard, right? So we have to have places where students want to go, they're accepted, they're welcomed, and they're nourished. Isn't that important in education? It is. It is. The nourishment piece is very important. HBCUs typically provide what we call wraparound services. So, for instance, at Miles College, Dr. Ian, most of, I'm going to say the majority of our students are on Pell Grants, some sort of financial aid, but a large majority receive Pell Grants. Some of them uh, are, a lot of them actually are from single parent households and are first generation in their family to go to college in 2021. They don't know how to go to college. They didn't have a parent to say, hey, this is what's going to happen when you get there. And you've got to study and you've got to watch your your social life. You've got to make sure that, you know, you're paying attention in class and enjoy your social life. Enjoy the activities, but, you know, you got to be careful. you got to watch that. Nobody's telling them that. And so then you have this this group of students who are our generational students. Their grandparents went to Miles College. Their parents went to Miles College. They wanted to come to Miles College. And then you have a group of students who have this ability to develop their leadership style. If you go to a school with 20,000 even 15,000, it's the chances of you really being able to uh, show who you are and learn who you want to be. It's very difficult. So the HBCU environment, particularly here at Miles, is is one that allows students that opportunity. I get very uh, emotional, actually, when I think about those who are the least of us as far as access and resources. And as you said, think about a first-generation college student who no one in their family has ever gone to college. Think about the disadvantage they are at automatically. They yeah. don't know what college is like. They don't know right. what it takes to get into college necessarily, at least from their family standpoint. Hopefully, their guidance counselors in high school are helping them. But from a familial standpoint, it's not like someone has already gone through the paces and can That's then right. take them through the paces, right? And so here right. you have... You know, this good kid who's trying to make it, who's trying to transcend where they where they are, and they are in a foreign world. It's a foreign process to them. And my argument is that the country at large should be supportive of places like Miles College and other HBCUs because these are schools that are flexible enough that are open enough to understand that this particular student who does not have the same resources as someone living on Fifth Avenue in New York City uh, may have done better academically had they had better resources, may have written a better uh, college essay and had a nicer application had they had the resources of others. So Miles and other types of schools say, we understand the adversity this student has had, and therefore we are not going to hold students to a standard that other students are held to when they have so many more resources that automatically, by the way, could make them better candidates. That being said, Correct. it's also it's also not saying that our students don't have intellectual and scholastic aptitude because one of the myths is that, oh, if someone goes to an HBCU, that means 
that they weren't a good student, they couldn't get into, you know, a school of greater shine and glamour. And that's just simply not the case. Yeah. And then I would point them to Vice President Kamala Harris and so many other people who went to HBCUs and uh, and look where they are. So, yeah, that that does not hold water. That argument doesn't fly. So uh, someone says, okay, what is different? Someone who's not been to an HBCU, someone will say, well, I don't understand what's so different about an HBCU versus going to a place like University of Virginia or Vanderbilt or or. UC Davis, what is the experience? What's the difference? What, 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 what am I going to see and feel differently there? <laughs> That's a good question. So what I'm going to tell you what I see and feel different because I did not go to HBCU. You know, the, the, the band is absolutely fabulous. We have an award-winning band. They don't play like the band at the University of Alabama. You know, they, it's totally different. And it's so much fun, and there's so much creativity uh, with regards to the band, the um, the athletics, and the the whole program, the the dance team, the cheerleaders, the Greek life. I didn't pledge a sorority, and the, the Greek life is just fantastic, and it's a great opportunity for these young people to develop lifelong friendships, but mm-hmm. also learn how to uh, work together work as a team. I had a group of uh, 10 students, male students, come to my office. They said, you know, Madam President, we need to come meet with you. And I was, what are they wanting to meet with me about? So they they picked a leader, a spokesperson, and some of them had balances and they were not going to be allowed to pledge. So all of these were trying to pledge alpha, all of these young men. But they had these balances and they said, Madam President, they picked me to be the spokesperson and I'm appealing to you to help us either allow us to pledge and work on our balances or help us with the balances. And I Mm -hmm. said, you know what? I loved how they came to me. They had a list of names of all of the students and the amount of balances they owed and their student number, and they appealed. And I thought, you know what, this is great because they've already gelled as a team and they're not even, they haven't even pledged yet. Uh, so I sent them down to financial aid. I called down there to the, the CFO. I said, take care of these balances for these young men. That You know, it was just the way they did it was just mm-hmm. so phenomenal because they learned so quickly that here's what we need to do. I was very, very impressed. And that is and that is one of the hallmarks of a great college experience. Yeah. I've always said my education was as much outside of the classroom yeah. as it was inside of the classroom. And so when you have an environment in which you foster the development of young people, not just what score did you get on your science test, but right. like these young men did by showing leadership and thought. They were thoughtful. They showed leadership. They showed teamwork. These are the kind of skills on top of educational attainment that you need to be successful in the world at large. Um, You talk about balances, which makes me uh, think about something I had read that said that you guys were doing a $100 million campaign, like most schools do campaigns. And by the way, for point of reference, $100 million is not even the beginning a number for a campaign at places like 
Dartmouth and University. No, it's not. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, yeah. But you do a hundred million dollar campaign. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that the largest gift you've ever received was from Charles Barkley and the amount of a million dollars. That that is correct. The largest single gift from uh, so so UNCF has provided uh, funding to the school over the years. But the largest single gift, and I didn't even ask him for it. It was hilarious. We were at dinner and he was, my husband was between me and Charles and Charles just all of a sudden said, man, I'm going to give your wife a million dollars for her school. And I'm like, what did he, what did he just say? (laughs) But you know, that's the kind of guy he is. He's just so giving. And he came to the school. He he took pictures with literally every student on the campus. It was hilarious and it was so much fun. But but yeah, he, he gave us a million bucks. Well, that's a wonderful gift, by the way. It also, mm-hmm. I think, shines a spotlight on other issues, which is number one, why is it that the largest individual gift to a school like Miles, which is doing such great work, which is so necessary, yeah. why is the largest gift only a million dollars? I just had my reunion, by the way. Okay, I just had my reunion. I won't say what number, but it's up there. I just had my reunion from college. One of my classmates, ready for this, donated $100 million, one person. Now, the class gift, you know, in my school, reunions are a big deal. And they're a big deal, not just catching up, but they raise a lot of money for the school. So far, my class is on record from college as being the second largest um, reunion donor to the school, raising over $134 million. This is, Bobby, this is one class of a school that has, you know, 70 giving classes. So one class in one year, we gave in our reunion $130 plus million. And then you look at a situation where a school like Miles is celebrating the donation of a million dollars. It was a big deal. The, dis- the, <laughs> the disparity. disparity. Yeah, the I'm disparity. So so um, even though that was the largest single gift, it's not going to remain the largest single gift. I can tell you that. And, and I've been working very diligently to ensure that, uh, that it's not. I can tell you that the Kappas, alumni chapter, the Kappas have made a commitment to raise a million dollars and challenge other fraternities and sororities to raise that same amount, equal amount for the school. You know, you don't get if you don't ask. And so we've been asking, uh, even though I didn't ask Charles, but, but what that did was, Ian, it put us on the radar. It put us on people's radar because that story went all over the country. And everybody was people. That's what they first thing they asked me about. Charles Barkley gave you a million dollars. Like, yeah. But, but you know what? He He's so generous and he wanted to uh, show other professional athletes that even though you did not go to an HBCU, those schools are so important. You should. And that was part of his message when he talked to the media on campus that day is he's trying to encourage all of these other folks who's, you know, who've got that kind of money, everybody doesn't have it. Your classmate that he could give away a hundred million, you know, he needs to be my new best friend. <laughs> but, but, you know, so, 
we're, we're reaching out, we're developing. I do what I call friend raising. I want people to see, I want them to get to know me as the new president and get to know Miles College. And I believe that if they get to know us, they will feel about us the way Charles Barkley feels about us. And they'll want to do something for the school. This is what I think. What I think is so operative in what you've just said is that the idea that people should feel excited about donating to a school that they didn't even go to. I think that's the hurdle right there. How do you yeah. get people? Because, you know, listen, it's easy to donate to your school. You have an attachment. Obviously, you have history. Okay. But the bigger the bigger reach, the bigger ask is for people who haven't gone to a school to say, listen, this is who we are. This is who we serve. And this is what we do. We need help to be able to continue our mission. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you would donate to us? And I, I bet you, I bet you these people who donate 50 because they're I mentioned my classmate. Listen, there are thousands of people around the country yeah. who are giving large sums of money to schools. And I would bet that a lot of people, if you or another HBCU president had the opportunity to sit down with them for 30 minutes, mm -hmm. I bet that a lot of these people would say, you know what? I'll write you a check for a million dollars. No doubt about oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that I think a lot of it is access, right? Access. And being able to have those conversations, I think the conversion from someone who is kind of, you know, a stranger to an institution, I think the conversion rate actually, once you got them in a room, would actually be very high because these people who are donating these sums of money already have uh, a shared mission and that they want to promote education. And it's typically not that they only want to promote education for the privileged, they want to promote education for the society at large. Perfect example is, you, you said it earlier, a lot of people don't know about Miles College. You didn't know about Miles College until you actually came here, I guess, but, but Mackenzie Scott's gifts to HBCUs across the country. The schools that received contributions from her were more well-known around the country. And uh, historically, they have have received large gifts. So you have your Howards and your Morehouse and your, you know, a, a lot of other schools, Hampton, et cetera. So my job then is to find a way to get to the McKinsey Scotts of the world and let them know, introduce them to Miles College and do the friend raising and let them know how important we are as well in educating young people. So. You know, I'm not, that's my mission. That's my job. I'm going to do it. Here you are, uh, a very successful business person who had a great career at Alabama Power, right? Right. Um, for many, many years. And then you find yourself on the board of Miles College, right? Right. And now interim president and now named first female president. What was it about, or it, was there anything about your career at Alabama Power that really prepared you to take on uh, this new responsibility uh, on the educational side, the academic side? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I, I did not seek this opportunity. It came to me and I had to really think about it and talk to my husband about it and pray about it. And like, do I want to do this? I don't know anything about higher ed, but, but what I have done is I felt that my business skills, my acumen in the business world, and my relationships would be helpful to the institution. 
So my my plan was to be there on an interim basis. And then back in um, March of 2020, the board uh, voted to ask me to be permanent. And I think it's because I approached it as a business. I, I operate like I'm running a business and using business principles and not like it's a nonprofit because even though we are a nonprofit, you've got to act like you're you're trying to, you know, get somewhere financially. You want to be financially as independent as you can be and not always struggling to pay for this faculty member or to um, upkeep this building. HBCUs typically don't have the resources to put into buildings and grounds like uh, your larger institutions. But I felt that I had uh, an opportunity to really, this is going to sound corny, to really make a difference. But the main thing for me is when I got to the campus, I fell in love. I fell in love with the students and I felt that they needed me. They needed mm. somebody like me. They're, they're the why. They're the reason I'm there. No other reason. So, you know, it's, um, I, I, I really did feel that, that I had a lot to contribute. And then when we had to face this worldwide pandemic, I pulled back on my skill set for uh, the electric utility company. You know, we always prepared for nuclear drills and, and tornadoes and and um, hurricanes. And so I looked at the pandemic as yet another storm. And so I had all of this experience to tie into. Didn't know I was going to have to pull it out, but, but I did. So anyway, that's primarily it. <laughs> You are, you know, you know, I don't want to bury the lead and maybe I have, but you are also very academically well pedigreed. I mean, you have a JD and you also uh, have a degree, a business degree from uh, Northwestern, uh, from Kellogg School of Management. And so you are very well pedigreed. And, you know, it just makes me think that someone with your background, both on the business side and also the academic side, I think it also makes a statement that you say, you know, I'm not going to necessarily, you know, go to, you know, NYU or Stanford, but, you know, I'm going to use my acumen. I'm going to use my skill set, my connections to help a place like Miles College. There's something um, Shakespearean poetic about someone taking that journey and saying, I'm going to go over here rather than somewhere else where others may expect me to go. I think that's important. I've never looked at it that way, but I guess you're right. You know, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, it's very easy in society to get into a track that society has almost set up for you, right? Yeah. Society says, well, if you're successful here, then you should do this. If you do this, you should do that. So society kind of encumbers us with these expectations and a lot of us, by the way, kind of just coast in that direction. And so I think that when someone cuts across the grain of expectation, I yeah. think it's important to highlight that. And I think that you need to explore the meaning behind that. That's I mean, that's how I see the situation. Well, uh, so so I was very comfortable. My husband and I were very were very comfortable. I could have could lived out the rest of my retirement years. You know, I turned 65 about four, three or four weeks ago. And, and, you know, life was, life is good. And 
But I do feel that I have so much more to give. And I will tell you that I can't think of any other place, any other purpose, any other time to be giving back in the way that I'm giving back right now. I, I can't see doing anything other than this, even though I didn't, you know, I was totally floored when they asked me to do it. I, I appreciate so much the opportunity to serve. And I think at the end of the day, by the way, no matter how successful we all are individually, I don't know if, if true life success is measured by titles and accolades and trophies and awards. For me, I think true life success is measured by what you do for others, how yeah. you impact other people's lives, what you leave behind that allows others to have a chance at it. I don't know how you see it. Yeah, I, I absolutely see it that way. And every day I walk this campus, I think about that. How can I change somebody's life? How can I impact it? For the better. You know, we're going to lose some. Some are mm -hmm. going to fall by the wayside. That's that's always the case. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they end up in a better place and in life and, and a, a better station in life. That's they're the why they're the they're the only reason. <laughs> uh, before we close out, um, I do something called uh, the random seven. Uh, but before mm -hmm. I get to my random seven, I have to ask you. Here you are, uh, a longtime citizen. You're Birmingham, Alabama native. You grew up in what we call up north the Deep South, yes. uh, which, which has a lot of meanings when we say the Deep South. What is it like in the Deep South now, given all of the things, the racial climate, the social injustice that's coming to the fore? What is it like in a place like uh, Birmingham and Alabama at large. So I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's any different than in the, any other places in the country, because I've, I've been in so many places where I have experienced what I consider to be racism or racist people. Birmingham still has a lot of challenges. It's Birmingham is a little different from the rest of Alabama. You know, you've got pockets, uh, you've got Huntsville and Birmingham and and your major metropolitan areas that are are more uh, tolerant i guess of differences but um it's not it's not too different than than other places what i will tell you is that miles college has historically been involved with uh, civil rights social justice issues throughout the years and one of the things that i did last year in response to the george floyd murder uh, I was asked to write an article for a business journal, and I wrote that article. And as I was writing it, I thought, you know what, we need to be doing more. So I launched the Miles College Center for Economic and Social Justice. And I'm going to tell you something that I haven't even asked him if I could say it, but um, Hill Harper has agreed to be visiting chair for the Miles College Center for Economic and Social Justice. And I'm really excited about that. You got a you he's going to kill me. But, you know, you got you got a major story. Uh, but we're we're we believe that that here at Miles College, we ought to be right in the center of all of the discussions and the discourse around social justice, economic justice. And the reason I asked Hill is because of his involvement with young black Americans about financial justice and yeah. financial health and stability and uh, you know, he understands blockchain. I mean, I don't know anything. What What is it? Blockchain? What's the other thing? Cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency, all that stuff. You know, he knows about all of that. And, and I want my students to hear from him and learn from him. 
So we've bought uh, several of his books and we're going to uh, share those with our students and and have him come to the campus. And um, hopefully he's not going to kill me for leaking this. But <laughs> he was a friend of mine. He's a good brother. So I, oh, I, I won't great. say anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he probably listens to your podcast. So he's going to hear it. <laughs> um, OK, OK, here we go. So let's do our random seven. These are okay. seven questions I ask at the end of a conversation. They're very random and you don't need to have long answers, just kind of whatever comes to mind. Okay. okay. What do you own that is really expensive that you have no guilt about? My car. What kind of car do you have? I have a Mercedes convertible E450. E450. I love it. Awesome. It's a, it's a nice <laughs> ride. <laughs> who haven't you met yet who you'd like to meet and have dinner with? Who haven't I met yet that I'd like to meet and have dinner with? Dr. Ian. <laughs> and why? Well, then the answer, the second part is why? Uh, because I followed, I followed your career and, uh, and you, you've always been out in the, the universe trying to help people, not, not just black people, but all people. And I think, uh, for somebody as young as you and, and as committed as you've been, I, I think you, ha you've had a wonderful journey. So yeah. That is very true, by the way. And I appreciate <laughs> that, uh, that I, I have had a great journey. It's been, mm -hmm. I've been very blessed, by the way. I also appreciate you saying that I've tried to help everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love my people, obviously, but I've said several times to anyone who may challenge me that I've helped everyone. I don't turn anyone down, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, or political affiliation. I just help mm -hmm. people. That's just kind of yeah. what I do. Question number three, if you had not had your career in the Alabama Power Company and you were not currently the president of Miles College, what career would you like to have had? That's easy. I intended to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be in radio uh, and broadcast, and I would be doing that right now. Wow. I love that. Mm -hmm. Broadcast is a great career, by the way. Mm -hmm. great career. Who have you always had a crush on and why? <laughs> I wonder if my husband's going to listen to this. Um, <laughs> Denzel Washington, because he's fine. <laughs> and he's a great actor. Okay, that's fair. What does success look like to you? People ask me that all the time. I'm just going to say if when you when you know you've made an impact on on something or someone, then I think you've been successful. That's what I feel. My first response. What moment was a watershed event in your life that you think made a big difference? The um, the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. I was uh, a little girl and uh, my sister, who's uh, 19 months older than, than I am, our parents were out of town. They were driving to Mississippi uh, and they left us at our grandmother's. And during those days, black people could not use telephones in uh, gas stations or in businesses on the road. And, and my parents um, heard on the car radio that a Baptist church had been bombed and some Little girls died in the in the basement and we went to a Baptist church and we went to Sunday school in the basement of the Baptist church. And they had no idea that uh, if it was our church or if it was their little girls until they got all the way to Mississippi mm -hmm. when they got there. And my oldest brother was was there. And uh, that's when they found out. And when I heard the story of how troubled they were and how concerned they were for me, it was 
Yeah, I still tear up when I think about what they had to have gone through not knowing mm. and not being able to use a phone because of the color of their skin. Mm. Mm. Last thing, <clears throat> when it's all said and done and they are writing your story, what do you want them to say? That that I was bold and I did what I felt I needed to do. President Bobby Knight, Miles College. Yes. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you so much. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith, associate producer Lauren Turner, executive producer Ian Smith, edited by Ken Johnson, executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.